0: Uh, thank you very much, John, and uh, again, thanks for uh, for coming out. So, we're speaking just a few meters above a library with uh, thousands of books, um, so one might wonder why um, add another one to the sizable collection already. I guess the short question then is why this book? For us, it's fair to say we put it together to address two problems, if you will. First is the problematic intellectual division of labor between political science and media and communication as two different fields that rarely are working together. Uh, there is a field of political communication but there is still a tendency to teach politics as if the media didn't exist and study media as if politics didn't exist. Robert um, uh, Picard is my colleague who is here in, in, in the audience today and I and, and Nail Jabril from the Orders Institute just started teaching what is to the best of my knowledge the first course on media and politics and the history, rather long history of this university, which I think is indicative of how this unfortunate division of labor is still very present in academia. Um, The second reason, if you will, of uh, of putting together this book on political journalism and transition, as Robert rightly said, the title is a subtitle, of which is Western Europe in a comparative perspective, is that when politics and the media are studied together, they're almost always studied together in a national context with very little attempt to look across different countries and different contexts to see at similarities and differences in uh, the interactions between media and politics. So those, if you will, are sort of the basic motivations of putting together this book. So the second question then is why I publish this book now, if you will, or put it together right now. I think the first reason for doing that is that we are in the middle of what we might think of as sort of an unfinished media revolution. Um, and if we accept the premise that uh, media and politics is closely intertwined, then of course, changes in one will have consequences for the other. And though there is a strong degree of continuity in the operations of our political systems uh, in in Western Europe as elsewhere in the world over the last, say, 10, 15 years, the media world has changed quite dramatically. And the last um, uh, comparable book, I would say, that tries to do what we're doing in this book is a book that Raymond uh, edited uh, in 2002 with Eric Naveau from France. Um, in, the inter, in the years since then, we have seen uh, the move from internet access via modems to broadband to mobile web. We have seen the rise of social media and search engines. We have seen the transition to digital television in many countries, uh, massively increasing the number of channels. And we have seen, of course, the decline of print newspapers uh, across much of Western Europe. And yet these issues, which are absolutely crucial important to understanding the media, are largely ignored in political science. And even political communication literature are only beginning to, uh, to get onto the research agenda, if you will. So, what we've done in the book is to bring together national uh, case studies of a strategic sample of different Western European countries, the UK as one, but also France and Italy as examples of sort of Mediterranean uh, European countries, and Germany and Denmark as Northern European countries that each have a different flavor, if you will, of the way in which media and politics interact. And then combine that with chapters that deal with themes that cross uh, that cut across all these countries. Issues like how do you cover the European Union. Uh, issues like public service uh, broadcasting and how it's evolving. Issues like uh, coverage of international affairs in one volume that tries to capture then political journalism in transition in Western Europe in a comparative perspective. Um, the period that we deal with um, is one in which it's important to outline at the uh, outset that Though it is a transitional period, it's one that's characterized both by continuity and change. So much of what we know from the 90s and earlier is still true about political journalism and the interaction between media and politics. But of course, there's also been a very significant change. So continuity first. There's no one story that covers all these countries or captures all the details in every case or every media organization, every government, and so on and so forth. But I think we can identify some continuities that are common to uh, the Western European countries that we look at. The first is that um, most political journalism is still, in 2013, produced uh, almost exclusively by a legacy news media organization. So uh, recognizable uh, uh, existing news organizations, broadcasters, uh, newspaper, uh, newspapers, and so, on and so forth continue, news agencies continue to, to produce the vast majority of political journalism. Secondly, uh, most people in all these countries still get the majority of their information about politics from these same sources television especially, uh, but also still print newspapers in in many cases. Uh, Third uh, continuity, Um, these legacy news media organizations that still uh, dominate production and distribution of news about politics in all these countries, um, even taking into account the differences in terms of the degree to which the political institutions are facing a crisis of confidence, Subscribe to what might, one might call sort of a legitimatist vision of politics, in that they accept the basic parameters of liberal representative democracy as we know it. They treat outsiders, whether they are populist parties or social movements, uh, with considerable uh, skepticism, and they are um, uh, they are basically focusing their attention on a few authoritative sources whose authority is derived from this system. And this is the case both in countries like Denmark and Germany where the political institutions still enjoy quite high levels of trust and confidence from the majority of the population and in countries like the UK and Italy where the established political institutions are suffering from a very serious crisis of confidence where a quite limited minority of the population express confidence in the political institution. In both cases, journalism continues to to focus its attention on the established political institutions, if you will. Those, I think, are the important continuities we should recognize at the outset. But then, of course, there's also change. Um, I think the first one, one's most striking for people who are working, either at the political or the journalistic end of political journalism, is the acceleration of the news cycle. While we've seen already in the 90s the growth of rolling news channels, 24-hour news channels, and television uh, accelerating the pace, Um, but with continually updated news websites taking on a larger role um, in the news cycle and of course most recently with the rise of social media in particular Twitter as sort of an intranet for politicians and journalists the news cycle has accelerated uh, to a degree where even though quite few people are following this breaking, breaking news information cycle across different platforms it is still seen as central to controlling the narrative by the actors involved and it's still followed with great interest by the journalists themselves and it moves at a very different pace from what we were used to in the, in the 90s. Um, second uh, change that I think that cuts across uh, all of the countries we're looking at is a shifting balance of power between, uh, on the one side, uh, time and resource-pressed journalists from legacy media organizations who are often, often going through budget cuts on the one hand, And on the other hand, especially top politicians, major political parties, and large interest groups that are investing more money in professional PR and have more means at their disposal in terms of communicating with people without necessarily going through the news media as an intermediary. Now, one should hasten to add to this, that top political actors, even as they have more influence vis-a-vis most individual journalists, though not all individual journalists, Nick Robinson is a very different position from rank-and-file lobby reporters, Uh, will still often say in interviews and elsewhere that they are struggling to deal with the pressures of the media combined, even if they may have more leeway with individual, more leverage over individual journalists. And of course, the majority of rank and file politicians are struggling to attract any attention at all from journalists. Uh, So they are certainly not feeling empowered, if you will, in this uh, changing media environment. They may tweet. They may update on Facebook. They may put out press releases. They may say controversial things in Parliament. And mostly, uh, the reaction is nothing. Um, The final change that cuts across all these countries, of course, is the clear and ongoing move from analog to digital media. So, television is still the number one source of information about politics for most people. Print newspapers are declining, but still important. But digital platforms are more and more important, though one should hasten to add that they are important uh, so far in Western Europe primarily as ways in which legacy media organizations distribute their news in new ways. So, it's more a question of name brand broadcasters and newspapers embracing digital and distributing content on digital platforms, then it's a question of new players uh, radically changing the dynamics of political journalism and the interactions between politicians and the media. Um, That brings me, if you will, to um, a third set of points that we wanted to stress when we put together this book on the basis of the chapters we got from the contributors, which is that there are some things that have changed elsewhere in the world of sort of affluent or relatively affluent uh, democratic uh, countries that haven't changed or at least not changed to the same extent in Western Europe. So if you think about the U.S., for instance, where what we've seen very clearly in the U.S., in the the north, is an accelerated audience fragmentation, where the idea that there is a shared discursive space in which issues of public concern are discussed is uh, subject to greater and greater challenge as viewers abandon the mainstream uh, network uh, news programs and cable uh, television continues to draw only a very small part of the audience. Though we do see in Europe an erosion of the draw of the major news channels and tele- sorry, the major news programs on on the major television channels, it is nowhere near the level of the U.S. So in most of the countries we are looking at, we still have major news programs drawing 20 or even 25 percent of the audience on a regular basis. Whereas in the U.S., it's a good night if NBC News draws more than 5 percent of the audience share. The same thing with newspapers, though print circulation is declining. In Europe it is not uncommon for the top newspapers to draw something like a fifth of the adult population as monthly unique users, whereas in the U.S., USA Today and New York Times draw 25 to 30 million unique monthly users from the U.S., which is less than 10% of the population. So we don't have nearly the same degree of audience fragmentation in Europe. Second thing that's going on in the U.S., which we haven't seen to the same extent happening in Europe or, or at all even, is the rise of partisan journalism. Um, this is a major phenomenon in the U.S., cable television in particular, but also online. Now, of course, in Europe, partisan journalism is an old idea. We've had this with newspapers in most of the continent for a long time. There's nothing new about it. What is interesting here is that while this is on the rise in the U.S., in, with the possible exception of parts of the Mediterranean countries, in, at least in northern Europe, uh, most researchers would suggest, at least the contributors to our book, that actually we're seeing the opposite uh, happening more at de-alignment where media organizations are moving away from an overt partisan political stance. Not all of them uh, and not all of those who have an overt political uh, or partisan stance are uh, surrendering it, if you will, or leaving it behind. But there is, uh, in the words of our German contributors, a tendency towards de-alignment, at least in parts of the, co- of the continent. This is very different from the U.S. Finally, um, as I alluded to uh, in terms of the the, the nature of the transition from analog to digital in in the case of most Western European countries, though this is happening with uh, news distribution, not so much with production in most of Europe, and uh, while this again, of course, is a contrast to the US where we've seen the rise of a limited but significant number of online-only news sites that seriously influence the news cycle. And, and, they, and, and play a serious role in framing the national conversation around policy. They have a limited audience, but they certainly influence uh, policy circles in D.C. and elsewhere. Uh, sites like the Dutch Report, the Daily Coast, Community Blog, uh, Town Hall on the right wing, uh, Huffington Post, Talking Pines Memo, Politico, and many other sites are, are influencing the nature of the conversation in the U.S., and with a few exceptions, of individual sites, Media in France, Dagospia in Italy, we're not seeing this phenomenon to nearly the same extent in in most of Western Europe. Probably because these countries' media markets so far too small to sustain such news organizations as long as the legacy media continue to dominate news provision. Um, where does that leave us, if you will, that diagnosis or that summary of what we think we've learned from the chapters that are collected in in this book? Um, well, one could start by saying that. Um, Basically, in most of Western Europe, uh, with exceptions, uh, one might sort of offer two cheers for political journalism in the sense that it continues in many countries to contribute to an information environment that makes large amounts of relatively accurate, relatively timely, and relatively important information available to people who choose to spend a little bit of their time and perhaps a little bit of their money accessing that information. So we still have political information environments that make it possible for people to be citizens, to, to inform themselves at least... In, in, a, in, a, in some way about what's going on in public life. Um, of course, um, that said, um, it's also the case that in every country that we're covered, there are some potentially serious concerns about where this is heading. And I would highlight, if you will, sort of three clusters of problems that are not um, equally present in every country, and they are not necessarily equally present in every organization, and they're not necessarily rooted in the same Uh, fundamental causes, if you will. The first concern that uh, I think we've we've heard from from all our contributors in in these quite different Western European countries is a concern that especially elite journalism, the parts of General interest journalism that caters primarily to well-educated and affluent uh, audiences, is becoming sort of hyper-politicized. It's been drawn ever closer, more closely into a bubble of journalists, political actors, and PR professionals uh, where there's a churn of breaking news driven by social media, by press releases, by interactions, informal exchanges uh, between these people, but a quite limited number of outside readers. It's a fairly rarefied environment that is mostly driven by sort of internal dynamics and mutual um, exchange and less by the interests of the, uh, of the wider public, if you will. This is a concern in all the countries we're looking at. There is an, a bubble tendency, if you will. Uh, and our contributors speak in different terms from every country of the Berlin spaceship, in the words of our German contributors, at the Westminster bubble, to use the term um, from, from here. Um, and, and in Denmark, we talk of the, uh, of the parliamentary uh, village, if you will, uh, in terminology similar to the idea of the Westminster bubble. So this is a phenomenon we see across all the countries we're looking at, a disconnect, if you will, between what concerns the people who interact in the daily production of the core of political journalism and the concerns of the wider citizenry. The second uh, concern, I think, that cuts across the countries we're looking at is the the concern that great amounts of political journalism is produced every day, but there continues to be a pronounced mismatch, and probably even a growing mismatch, between what is covered by political journalism, which ought perhaps more precisely to be called national, parliamentary, and governmental journalism, and the, the ways in which political authorities actually exercise at different levels, in different networks by different actors, including not only national parliaments and the uh, most prominent ministries of national governments, but also by regulators at the European Union level, by executive agencies, by interest groups, by lobbyists and whatnot. And this figures not very prominently at all in political journalism, which is still primarily concerned with recognizable individuals in tough positions in parliament and and tough positions in government and not with the wider political system uh, across the continent. Finally, um, and this of course I think is particularly um, important concern for, for us at the Reuters Institute for the study of journalism because of our interest in the news media and, and their contribution to democracy is that there are in all the countries we're looking at, though they are affluent, are uh, real concerns about the continued capacity of legacy news media organizations to cover politics in the future because of the budget cuts, Uh, because of the commercial pressures from a transition from an analog environment in which these organizations make money to a digital environment in which they make less money and in some cases uh, operate at a loss. Um, So there is a real question here of the ability of legacy news media organizations, particularly those who are commercial operations, private operations, to continue to make the interesting significant and the significant interesting for their audiences if they have to continue to cut their newsrooms and become more dependent on especially the most... Uh, shall we say, uh, that the top political actors are those who have the most resources at their disposal, the ability of news media to provide an independent counterweight to this and edit and report in a way that isn't at the mercy of the sources is might be seriously undermined if we see the continuation of the trends in the industry. And now, I would finish just by saying that I think it's important to say that these are three different problems. And as I alluded to, are not necessarily driven by the same root causes. So you can have the problem of sort of a hyper-politicization of political journalism, even in organizations that aren't necessarily subject to the budgetary pressures of private news organizations. So you can have problems, and we, we hear this from our German and our Danish contributors, for instance, of even public service broadcasters who have a robust business model, if you will, a revenue model, to, to, probably to be more precise, moving in the same direction of being ever more self-referential in the way in which politics is covered, ever more beholden to a breaking news cycle that interests very few people. You can also have, if you will, even these very well-resourced, financially relatively stable public service media organizations maintaining, and and often for understandable and and good reasons, a focus on recognizable figures, easy to understand uh, political conflicts at the national uh, level uh, without necessarily devoting uh, proportional attention to what goes on in local and regional government, what goes on in uh, governance networks that involve interest groups of various sorts, what goes on at the European Union level. So that even without the budgetary pressure, simply because of the com- competition for attention, that even those uh, organizations that do not have to worry about their bottom line may uh, move in directions that that aren't aligned. The they need to be concerned, if you will, about the problems of not only hyper politicization but also the mismatch between what political journalism covers and how politics, politics is actually practiced. Now, of course, the third problem is primarily a problem that inflicts. Private media organizations, of course, public service media organizations would often say that the increased demands put upon them by politicians and the increased expectations of their audiences mean that even though their budgets might be safe, they still have to uh, rationalize their operations and churn out more and more stuff, uh, deliver more and more services, more and more platforms, more and more genres, more and more audiences. That means that they, too, will feel uh, pressure to perhaps sometimes cut their investment in doing uh, in political journalism and thus their ability to give the citizenry, if you will, some sort of factual basis on which to exercise their citizenship. Um, this is where I'll end. I, I decided to, to focus on a few of the shared, if you will, uh, themes of the, of the book that is comparative, and hence it is important for us to underline that these are different countries, and there are different trends in these countries, even if there are similarities, there are also differences. And I'll hand it over here to Raymond, who wrote our chapter, uh, the chapter on France. And will speak about this particularly interesting uh, case.
1: So Raymond, over to you. Thank you very much, Rasmus. Um, first, just to echo Rasmus's welcome at, at the beginning of his presentation. The, the weather is um, usually or unusually inclement. And so fact in fact, have made an effort to be here this afternoon. I uh, well, thank you for that. Rasmus has asked me to talk about my own contribution uh, the chapter on France, and I'm conscious that in the audience there are at least two people who know as much about France, if not more, than I do. But if past experiences tend to go by, there'll be at least one, if not two or more, who will know very little about France. So I'm not going to go into the, the details of French political journalism here, although I'm more than happy to try to answer any questions that you may have in, in that respect. My chapter was entitled, if I remember correctly... Um, What's so French about French political journalism? Rasmus has talked about the overall structure of the book—a mix of case, national case studies, and cross-national thematic chapters. And so, my question, although it was about France, in a sense, was a broader question about why have national case studies at all, or, or, is, there, or is there still um, a justification to have national case studies? And the argument in the chapter is is really, in I suppose, in, in, in three layers. I begin by arguing that in certain respects France shares many of the common challenges, threats, opportunities um, as other um, national political communication systems um, across Western Europe because Western Europe is what we are focusing on in the book. That France is not unique um, and that in many respects France is not even particularly exceptional. So if you look at The professionalization of sources, for example, if you focus on political actors, then then you you see similar trends, and this has been well documented by others, as you will find um, across other national political communication systems. Usually trends that have originated, developments that have originated in the United States, and then been transposed um, into Western European countries, albeit tweaked frequently um, for national consumption. If you look at the development of the media system, again, The French print media, newspapers, but also news magazines in in, in deep financial trouble. Um, To a significant extent, many of the titles being being propped up by very generous state subsidies. Um, French print media outlets facing the same problems as in other Western European countries in terms of developing a sustainable business model. Um, If you look at audience usage of the media, television is still by far the main medium of political information for the mass of society. That's fairly typical. With upmarket print media, elite newspapers and news magazines being used um, by more highly educated and more politically interested. Uh, If you break it down by generation, print media is still hanging on um, among the the, the elderly. So, the print media newspapers being the second most important source of political information for the elderly after television, go go to the other end of the generational scale, the internet uh, is second to television. Television is still first, but the internet. More important than the press. And those are trends, the figures may be different, but the trends I think France just fits into a common Western European pattern. So I don't know how much of the chapter, a third, a half, is is really saying, asking this question, well what's so French with French political journalism? And maybe come to an answer, well, perhaps perhaps not very much if you look at it through a certain lens. The second part of the chapter is is trying to tease out if if there is something, if not exceptionally unique, but if there is something perhaps specific, if if there's anything which differentiates either in kind or in degree the French experience from that of the other countries that we included in the book. And there I argue that, well, I I think there is. Um, The role of the state, for example, independent of whether the government is of centre-left or centre-right. Um, There is a a strong tradition of state intervention in the media, the exercise of financial power, i made already made reference to the significant system of press subsidies. Um, An important system of state patronage, um, the media being used as as, as a a site for the appointment of of, um, persons who are politically sympathetic to the ruling uh, administration. Um, intervention in terms of of, 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 a, of um, agenda building, not unique to France, but, but the particular ways in which it's done in France, perhaps slightly different from other Western European systems. Very close interrelations between the state and private media in France, so this is not just state and public service media. This was particularly notable during the Sarkozy presidency, when as well as the structural links, you had interpersonal linkages, media barons who had been witnesses at his wedding, or this one of them, um, media barons who are a godfather to his son, etc. So very close to linkages. But structural linkages to media companies reliant on state regulation, either in the area of media interests or... Because media companies in France usually are not specifically media companies; the media interest is only part of a much bigger conglomerate, dependent on the state for beneficial regulation, um, for state contracts um, in areas such as armaments or um, public construction, etc. So the relationship between the, the, the state and the media, I think, is, is one aspect where, again, okay, not unique perhaps, but, but certainly more prevalent than, than 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 in than in the other four case studies um, we looked at. And then perhaps another area which which France is, is particularly interesting is the nature of the interdependencies between the professional political sources on the one hand and the journalistic personnel on the other. I mean, it was a common theme across the national case studies, this notion of, of a bubble, of a closed world, of, of um, two sets of professionals um, who in some countries had shared educational backgrounds. But whether that was the case or not... Um, they were living you know, to, to a large extent cheek by jowl and, and sometimes with the impression that it was that bilateral relationship was much more important than any of than, than the relationship that either of them had with voter, citizens, media users you know, there was a sort of a, a game sometimes, sometimes a conflict competition, sometimes um, cooperation, collusion and even connivance and in France th- that is particularly marked um, the there's an anecdotal illustration of that is, is, is a number of intimate and indeed married relationships that you have between politicians, male, and journalists, female. Um, you know, I could probably give you at least say, 10 examples of that off the top of my head, including, of course, the current president. CNN had a poke at that um, when Dominic Strauss-Kahn came on after his um, the revelations of, of what had taken place in New York. He tried to make a comeback in France in September 2011. On French television, and he was interviewed by the news anchor on TF1, which is the French private television company, Claire Chazal. And the CNN reported this with the moving ribbon underneath saying, "This man is being interviewed by a friend of his wife." Absolutely true, you know, and, and thereby, you know, very explicitly saying to you know a non-French audience, you know, this is something you should be aware of, and, and this is, and, and implicitly, rightly, I think, saying that this is something that's by no means atypical of what has gone on in France over the last twenty or thirty. Um, um, it happened under Mitra, it happened under Shihati it happened under Sarkozy so the the, 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 the degree of interdependence uh, the, one has to be careful because when it's from France, historically, the French often say, oh, you, you do this so differently in Britain. You know, your politicians don't quite, you don't quite have such close relations. And then we have the, the Leibison and the phone hacking and the Rebecca Brooks and Andy Kose and all the rest of it. And that actually, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not, maybe not quite. Maybe you've yet again misinterpreted what we do this side of the channel. But, but, but the historic degree of independence in France, I think, between source professional sources, politicians, uh, on the one hand, and media owners stroke, and media journalists on the other, is and then in the third layer, which um, is, okay, you've got these transnational, cross-national, international, whatever you want to call them, pressures, challenges, which, which, which cut across borders. Then these may be differential impact within the different countries because of the, the historic legacy of particular media structures and institutions, or political cultures, or journalistic cultures, or, or even wider social cultures. And then the third there is well, fresh political journalism, can, can you take a snapshot of it at a particular moment and say there is, there is such an animal? Because what is happening, say, under Hollande is in some ways different than from what happened under Sarkozy. So that even within a national case study, you move from the transnational, the global, through the idea that, well, yeah, that there are things that are national, to the next layer, which is, and in that national prism, it's in flux. And it's in flux in part because of, the first level, the global changes, because global practices are being integrated within the French political communication context, and because the, the national political cultures and systems are, are, are changing as well. Um, a colleague of mine, uh, Nicolas Kassiaf, has just written a book about French political journalism over a much longer time period than, than I was concerned about in my chapter. Whole of the post war period. Uh, and he, he charts um, the evolution of political journalism. And in his last chapter, he posits three sets of hypotheses as to why these changes have taken place. That one, changes in the political realm, most notably in, in, in the long view in France, 1958, when a regime collapsed, a parliamentary regime dominated by parties collapsed, and was replaced by an executive dominated semi presidential in, in theories highly presidential practice political system. So political change, institutional change, can have a huge impact on the nature of political journal. Nothing to do with you know, cross-national currents. This was a purely Franco-French uh, set of events, the, the, the collapse of the regime with the failure to resolve the Algerian crisis. Secondly, change driven by, by media system changes. Um, OK. Um, and third, change driven by changes in, in, in the makeup of the journalistic profession and the journalistic culture the professionalisation of journalism, so it's not just sources which have been professionalised, but arguably the journalistic profession as well. The feminisation of the journalistic profession, You know, if you go back to 1945, it was almost exclusively male. And it, it, that, that's it's, it's much more a balanced profession in terms of intake than now. And and then the, a fourth element which doesn't talk about surprisingly, surprising, it, but it's too big for him, and that, and that is why the sociocultural change. If, if one reason... Say that print media um, are, are not doing, so, in their, their old fashioned newsprint version, they're not doing so well in France in terms of, of getting people to, to read political material, is to do with online competitors and all the rest of it. Another reason is that the French are just less interested in politics than they used It just sells less. They're not, you know, headlines Ten, twenty 10, 20 years ago people would have, you know, buy the newspaper to read about it. it. It doesn't work anymore. Now, and that may be linked to changes in the nature of politics. In France, one suspects, perhaps also outside France, so one is back to these two levels which are, are, are not hermetically sealed this case, but disqued but are interacting with each other. What conclusion did I come to? What's the French the French political journal? Well, depends which lens you look through. If you want to look at the chapter and the other national case studies to look for commonalities, you will find them. Of course you will. There's no problem with that. But if you want to look at the chapter and say, well, is, is there anything that is specific to France, or Denmark, or Germany, or the UK, I think you'll find that too. And, and I think in my last sentence, well, yes, it may well be the French political of Germany changing. It may be that we're seeing, I don't think we actually, but maybe the eyes of some, are seeing some sort of convergence um, as, as national specific characteristics wane in importance. But if you look at the producers of French political journalism, if you look at the content of French political journal, if you look at the, the audiences of French political journalism, the languages which is produced, etc., 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 I maintain, I'm getting old, but I'm not very clear to this, um, that that national prism still is still important. It's not to um, undervalue the growing comparative approach that we're seeing in political communication, uh, which, is, which is immensely valuable. Um, but I don't think we should throw the baby out of the bathwater. Um, and undermine the value of national case studies, which can drill down in depth um, to capture both elements of difference across um, uh, national situations, but indeed also uh, elements of, of change within the national case study itself. So, okay, I think I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Thanks very
2: much. much. <coughs> Thanks very much, Raymond uh, and Rasmus. Uh, it's now over to you, but let me start just the conversation with a couple of points. One, one of the things that Rasmus said early on in what he was saying was that and it's also in the introduction and elsewhere in the book, that political journalism has a legitimist, a legitimist vision of electoral politics. That is, it sees itself as describing, uh, critiquing the conventional politics, parliamentary elections. And um, it's well to remember that at the moment that's unreceived by two British celebrities, um, one Russell Brand and secondly Jeremy Paxman, both of whom have argued that voting is for the boroughs, really, Uh, it's not worth doing uh, because the human material is so bad in the case of Paxman and the the outcome is uh, is so dramatically horrible according to Brand. that can be dismissed, and indeed I would dismiss it as the ravings of two uh, celebrities looking for 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 more publicity. But it's clear they've touched a nerve, or indeed stamped up and down a it. Um, and that nerve is um, that uh, many, many people, including perhaps mostly young people, people between eighteen and thirty. Um, uh, see what they say as perfectly sensible, indeed, unexceptional. Um, And the the fact that um, political journalism carries on describing the legitimist legitimist politics is um, maybe indicative of a a wide gap opening up, a widening widening gap opening up between what is still mainstream political journalism in all the countries covered (coughs) uh, and in others not covered, Um, and the interests of younger cohorts of of, um, European, North American, and other citizens. And that clearly is of of some real concern. The second thing that I think is worth flagging up, and it was flagged up to an extent in the book, but not quite enough, and that is that... uh, (coughs) as both have said, especially Erasmus, and it's come, come, it comes out a good deal in the book, that political journalists, as other journalists, but perhaps political journalists more than most, now are <coughs> spread thin across a whole number of platforms. One of the essays, I think, Mike Erasmus is on American politics um, gives the example of, a, of a, the correspondent of NBC News, who does about 10 stand-up, Newscast today. He blogs. He tweets. He has his own program, I think once a day or fairly often, uh, and does interviews and so forth with the studio. In other words, it's hard to see how he does any research, yeah. given that he's on the air or tweeting or blogging or something all the time. And this is taken to mean by the, if you like, the pessimistic strain within the book, of which Professor Aaron Davis. Uh, of Goldsmith is, is perhaps the most clear example that things are getting worse in journalism. Perhaps it was never a golden age but this is certainly a leaden one. Or if it is not leaden particularly it's full of, the, of very very superficial coverage because at least in part because journalists are um, so concerned to feed a whole number of beasts not just one newscast or one or two editions of the paper in the evening, but a whole variety of, um, of platforms which stretch throughout the day, and which means their days both long and fevered. And I wanted to challenge that, um, uh, not that, you, that journalists have to do more across more platforms, that's clearly true in many cases, perhaps in most cases, but that the result is something which is, um, which is much worse. Um, I wrote down what Aaron Davis said very striking in his essay in the book, what is, uh, what is produced is increasingly watered down, under-researched, under-checked, cannibalistic, and highly dependent on public relations materials. What, what is left, political journalism, is a pale imitation of what it was. Well, that's fairly unambiguous, um, but just, you know, just on the top of my head, um, uh, against that, in this country, uh, have been the last, say, 10, 15 years, the, either the appearance or the rise of um, new sources of largely political um, commentary, or to a significant extent, political commentary. Magazines like Prospect, like Standpoint, the two older right and left magazines are now on the web, and increasingly put out stuff every day, even several times a day uh, in the newspaper and spectator. The London Review of Books, which used to be essentially about books, uh, is now much more of a review um, uh, and is much more about politics, uh, largely of the left, but with long essays, including by academics in this university on uh, politics, right and left, much of it in this country. The Huffington Post now has a British edition, conservative, and on the web, Huffington Post is on the web, the websites like Conservative Home, Left Move Forward, Progress Online, Policy Exchange, Policy Network, the last two of these are think tanks, very extensive websites, the more celebrated bloggers like Guido Fox and Dale's Diary, the party websites, the government websites, the institutions, which, as was we saying earlier, are not covered much by political, like a national political coverage, but have extremely informative websites Academics, political scientists, others blogging and creating their own websites. The results of the Freedom of Information Act in journalism, there's a paper on that published a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, by the Reuters Institute, which showed that that's quite extensive, especially in regional journalism, where the FOI, Freedom of Information, has given rise to a great deal of journalism. And of course, the um, huge amounts of material available from other Political cultures, which are available on the web, very often uh, in English. So that the, the you could as well construct, it seems to me, the um, the view that this is a political journalistic golden age, uh, uh, rather than one in which everything has gone from bad to worse. There simply is a huge amount, much more material. What it, what is happening is a certain, my contention is. What's happening is a certain thinning out of conventional mainstream journalistic political journalism in part because the, the journalists have to do much more, but in, in very substantial part, as one or two of the, of the people here reflect, that there's much less interest, think Raymond mentioned this, there's much less interest, not just among the French, uh, on conventional politics. There's still a lot of interest in political scandals and political journalism, there's a lot of political scandals. There's less interest in political uh, journalism, which covers policies, legislation, uh, debate between the parties at, um, at, or within the parties, unless there's an, a scandal attached to it, as it is in the Labour Party over, um, over shenanigans and Falkirk. So the level of evident interest from the public in political events is now much slighter. Uh, for whatever reason that might be. what might be worthwhile well, discussing why that is the case. So the market, both the, the, the producers are more distracted and therefore producing less in-depth. Though want us to note there is still a good deal of investigative journalism around, perhaps as much as ever, perhaps more than before. Just uh, people are more used to it. Um, and from, the, and from the, the consumers, there's less pressure or the kind of rounded, uh, well-crafted analyses, investigations, and simple reporting. No, no paper now reports in any detail whatsoever uh, parliamentary debates, except in, in political sketches, i.e., uh, in comedy. It still comes out in comedy. It doesn't come out in what the um, honourable member for X said, um, uh, and in television. Really, it's it's only when the two main party leaders, the the, the prime minister and the the opposition clash in question time, or occasionally, very occasionally, some very high profile debate about something which is very much in the news when that gets on television. There are, of course, channels which are, um, there's a a channel which is devoted entirely to parliamentary issues, has a very small audience. So, nevertheless, it's there. Um, uh, So there's there's a large quantity of stuff there's less stuff from the mainstream, um, uh, does that then mean, question, that we are in a crisis or in a period of, of trade overabundance? Uh, another question, well, I'll turn it back to, to both of you first before other people came in. Um,
0: it's uh, it's clear that the, one of the virtues and vices of an edited book is that there will be different voices in it and I think it's fair to say that Raymond and I had a bit of a back and forth with Aaron Davis in particular who, as John made clear, has a particularly pessimistic uh, reading of the situation in this country. Aaron Davis wrote the the chapter about the UK. Um, I myself try to be very careful to avoid the C word um, because I'm not sure it captures the nature of the situation. Um, If I may be cute and play off the the idea of a leaden age from Davis and your idea of a golden age um, can one be Dickensian and say it's the best of times and the worst of times um, okay. and that maybe it's a gilded age in which there's a little bit of gold um, but also a lot of other stuff um, and in my own view and I say this as often as I can because the so much of what I do is about the business of journalism which is the way the news is not always equally upbeat is that I say that from the point of view of the consumer I think the best journalism today is probably better than it's ever been in terms of the the timeliness in, a way, in the way in which it's available, in terms of the depth of information, the diversity of perspectives, the ability to correct mistakes, a certain humility in terms of one's, an understanding of one's own role in society that I think was, was, was fairly absent uh, earlier on, but maybe creeping in, particularly particular to newspaper journalism, uh, in terms of, of understanding that, that, that one is no longer the sole gatekeeper between authorities and, and, and citizens, if you will. Um, so, so I think that, that that would be at least my own view, that this is not necessarily a crisis, though there are certainly concerns, and, and some of those concerns um, are, are worth talking about uh, and putting out forth, even as one recognizes the enduring value of much political journalism, and I should hasten to add there, that I guess I share the legitimist the vision uh, that, that political journalism has in many ways, though it's just worthwhile making explicit that this vision underlines much of journalism. I would say just um, on the point of interest, um, we don't know this for a fact uh, in the case of Europe. But I think it's worth thinking about an argument that's been made in an American context here uh, that might apply to Europe too, which is the idea that actually what has changed over time is not that people have become less interested in politics. It is that they have more to choose from. So if you came home in the US in the 1960s and you wanted to watch television around dinner time, you would have a couple of channels to choose from, but all of them would be showing news at the same time. Um, And hence you were exposed to information about public affairs, even though your preference really was just to watch television, not to watch television news. Now, of course, this has completely changed. There is no such thing as incidental exposure anymore, unless it is because someone you have dinner with wants to watch news and you may not. Um, So actually, without uh, positing any change in people's interest in politics, we can understand the fragmentation where it's more a question of those who care about politics, have always cared about politics, will always care about politics, can now feast upon political coverage and any you know conceivable device, platform and source. Whereas the large majority who have at best a limited interest in politics are only uh, drawn into that insofar as someone, either commercial operators who still buy for a mass audience or public service organizations who take it upon themselves to report policies in a way that is um, uh, accessible for for people who aren't insiders, um, deal with that challenge of of reporting politics, which, at the end of the day, is um, both complex and very strange um, in a way that is simple and familiar, which is hard. Um, and even with resources, it's hard to do, that only then can you expect to have some sort of shared discursive space, and that is without anyone actually changing their real level of interest in politics. So I'm, I'm not saying that we don't know whether Europeans have become less interested in politics. They might. But even without them becoming less interested in politics, just the sheer increase in the number of options available to us in our media environment today would lead to the kind of fragmentation we see now. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I'm wondering know the I would agree with a lot of that, probably, probably all of it, um, and the, the notion that the audience has more choice. But I, I also think that politics, in certain places, has become, I think, more, more complicated to explain and more complicated for voters to understand. So, an anecdote from, from our part of the world recently, the my election, where a school has been closed, and the SNP candidate blamed the, the local Labour Council. The Local Labour Council blamed the SNP government in Edinburgh, and the SNP blamed the coalition government in Westminster. And the only surprising thing there was that nobody blamed the EU. Now, how is a voter, I mean, how are you supposed to make sense of that in in, in systems which are now multi-level governments? Uh, where you get, you know, rating agencies telling you whether your economy is doing well or not and, and the World Trade Organization and and, and and issues of whatever from international terror to global warming which I think are highly complex. And so I think I think politics, which in a sense, if you're talking about um, conventional politics which in, in the old days when I was roughly was, was two, two teams lining up against each other or maybe two and a half teams uh, more complicated in terms of party competition more complicated in terms of governance, but at the same time quite rightly, you pointed out, political journalists focusing on process, because either they, they don't understand a lot of the tech what's going on, or, or, or the media outlets not being prepared to employ um, specialist journalists for whatever reason, um, and having difficulty explaining that beyond a particularly small elite audience, I think. So, media change, yes, but I think changing nature of politics.